This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Well, this week we are continuing in a series that we've called Friending. Really, at the beginning of this year, we decided that God was calling us to give up, give in, and to give out. And what we mean by that is that God is calling us to give up to him everything that he deserves, everything that would honor him, to give him the right place in our lives, to give up our plans so that we can receive his plan, and then to give in to God's plan for relationships. And that's really where we've been in this series, to give in to God's plan for friendships. That video that you just saw is a preview. Next week, we'll be concluding this series by looking at a topic that many of us need in our lives, and that is that we need to unfriend some of our friends, right? And next week, we're going to look at what it means to unfriend because, and I've said this before, some of you have remarked on this, that it is impossible to lead the right life with the wrong friends. It's impossible to lead the right life with the wrong friends. And so next week, we're going to look at the kind of boundaries and barriers that God would put up in our lives, healthy distance between people that are toxic to us, people who are causing negative things to happen in our lives. And so we're going to look at unfriending next week. Uh, This week, we're going to continue uh, really along the main idea that we've been looking at. It really comes out of this one thought, and it's a thought that we're going to revisit over and over and over again throughout this series. It's this, that if you would show me your friends, I can show you your future. You show me your friends. You show me the people that are closest to you, and I can show you your future. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, in Proverbs 13, 20 said this, walk with the wise and what? Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. If you walk with the wise, you will become what? Okay, so if we walk with people who are better than us in certain areas of life, we will be able to learn from them and grow with them according to that. I I told you in the first week of this series, something that is important to just remember, that if we took your five closest friends, sociologists say that if we took your five closest friends, you are the average of your five closest friends. You're the average. Your marriage is the average of your five closest friends. Your income most likely is the average of your five closest friends. You are the average. And I had, I gave you an opportunity to write down who those were. And for most of you, you struggled with that because I put certain parameters like a friend is not your spouse who is in a covenant with you and obligated to be your friend, right? It is not your child or your sister or your mother because they are blood relatives and they are by blood obligated to be. It was supposed to be a friend, not family, not a dog, right? Not an invisible friend. And you guys struggled. You struggled. Most of us did. Struggled to write down five friends. 
And I told you that over the last 25 years, based on a, an ongoing research project, we, we see that in the United States, the person, the average person has went from having six close friends to two close friends. And last week, I went through the three types of friends that we all need. Three types of friends. And that means if you only have two friends, right, you're probably missing something. And I think one of the things that was the most shocking last week is we, we talked about, this has been one of those series that I've probably gotten the most feedback from people that we've done in a long time. And one, one of the things that I got last week was, man, I, I want to be that kind of friend. I never, I'd never thought about it that way. But over and over again, we, I, I told you last week in, in kind of the beginning of the message, this one idea that, that poverty comes in several different ways. That there is material poverty. Right? That, that's the person that doesn't have the basic supplies to live. They don't have enough food. They don't have shelter, right? They don't have transportation. They don't have basic needs, right? Poverty. And we, we have seen videos and images, and maybe some of us have had the, the privilege to come in contact with people who are literally living in material poverty, the second kind of poverty that I mentioned last week is spiritual poverty. That's the person that literally has no relationship with God. Life is void of a spiritual purpose and meaning. Like there, there, there is a poverty that comes when we do not have a relationship that is vibrant with God. And it is spiritual poverty. But last week as well, I, I mentioned that, that researchers would also tell you that there is relational poverty. And from so many people last week, I, I got the feedback. That's me. I never thought about it that way. I could only list one friend. I have hundreds of friends on Facebook. I have tons of people who, who call me and then I call, but I can only list one or two close friends. I'm that person that's living in relational poverty. I mean, re relational poverty is a devastating thing to live in. It is devastating to the life that God wants to give you and me. And the truth is, is that if we sat down and we could only list two friends, the, tr the honest truth is, is that we're not living in God's plan. That is not the life God wants to give you. It is not, and if, and if in any way you've bought into a lie that that's the kind of life God wants to give you is one close friend, you have bought into a false representation of what God wants to do in your life. You see, we live in a country and in a Western world that has idolized independence. I mean, obviously, because uh, we, we have a holiday every year, and I've been through this before with you guys on July 4th, Independence Day, right? And so we, we put a high value on being independent. But I want to tell you this. All right, we're going to put this on the screen because I want you to see this. We can't follow Jesus and be independent. We can't follow Jesus and be independent. God designed life where we'd be dependent on him and on his people. 
I mean, that's the design of God, is that we would be dependent. It is impossible to live a life that is pleasing and represents the life of Jesus if you are living completely independent. It's impossible. And that idea has wrecked, and especially in the Western world, has led to a relational poverty that is devastating to the kind of life that God wants to give. See, here's something that I think has crept into the church throughout the last century. And you've heard pastors say, I've said it before, that God wants to have what kind of a relationship with you? A personal relationship with you, right? Your personal relationship with Jesus. But the the truth is that terminology is not very biblical. It's not. Because what God does in you is not just for you. It's for you to share with other people. See, God, we need to have a shared relationship with God. It's not just a per, it's not just me independent. I the design of God is that we would live in relationship with friendship. So what has caused for us? What has caused relational poverty? What where has culture moved and shifted to that as and and it is a an epidemic in the western world. I mean, this really is. This is not just here. It's not just your family. It's epidemic, all right? Most of us are dealing with this. So what has caused relational poverty? The first thing that I would tell you is that it's increased mobility. Increased mobility. Statistically, if you are under 40, if you are under 40 in the United States, you live on average for five years in the same place. If you are under 25, it's three years in the same place. It's impossible to build deep, meaningful, lifelong friendships when we're moving and changing so much. And it's not just increased mobility in moving. The average person coming out of college right now with a degree in a specialized area will only stay in that area four to five years on average. And then they'll change careers. So when we change jobs every three, four years. It's impossible to keep those, that context and relationships going. Increased mobility is having effect on relationships. Here's something that maybe many of you haven't thought about, but if we think about it in the scope that I'm going to show you, you'll see it. Modern conveniences. I read a book not too long ago, and it talked about how the air conditioner changed community. Now, some of you aren't old enough. I'm not old enough to remember this, but some of you are old enough to remember the days before air conditioning. And when it was summer afternoon, what did you do? You sat outside because it was 
cooler outside than it was inside. Right? And so what happened? Because you were outside, you would talk to your neighbors. The kids would play together, right? But now that we have air conditioning, and once air, air conditioning became a common, every household convenience, families sucked inside. Here's something that some of you might remember, is going from a detached to an attached garage. In the last, uh, I think it's 75 years, home construction has shifted from having a detached garage to having an attached garage. So what happened is that you would have to get, if you parked your car in the garage, you would get out of the garage and have to walk to the house. Now, because of a garage door opener, those, there are many of us that live in communities. We hit that garage door opener, go in the garage, and nobody sees us. We get out of the car, we're like little vapors just coming in and going out, coming in and going out. Nobody sees you at all. You don't have to know your neighbors. You don't have to say hi to anybody. Now, I remember this one. Back when I was a kid and someone called you on the, on the phone, do you know how you knew who it was who was calling you? You answered the call. That's how you knew. It was the only way you knew. And then all of a sudden, the beautiful, although some of us hate it, invention of the answer machine came on the scene, right? And all of a sudden, when the phone rang, we would let it do what? Let it go to the answer machine. Hey, guys, this is Tim. Oh, I don't want to talk to Tim right now. Let that just... Let the answering machine take it. And then call waiting. And now, for many of us, we just see it on our iPhones and on our portable phones. And we, you know, I'm not going to take that now. It's changed the way that we interact. Here's something that is, if you're in, in a family situation now, this is dramatically impacting the way that families have community right now. Is I would call it the individualized forms of entertainment. It, it, it is not uncommon for a family of four, that especially you get two teenagers thrown in the mix, for them to be sitting in the living room, all four doing something totally different. Streaming Netflix on an iPad, playing a game on a tablet. This person is watching TV. This person is reading a book on the nook. See, if you were me when I was a kid, there was one TV and it had one channel. That's it. And you got to watch that one channel with everybody else. And some days you would fight over what channel that one channel was going to be. Because it was only going to be one channel. There were no TVs in the bedroom. None of that. But now it's totally different, isn't it? I mean, my daughter is not yet potty trained, but she's touch screen trained. I mean, two and a half years old knows how to. She can straight up take a video and throw it up on the Apple TV. I'm like, how in the world do you know how to do that? You're two and a half. You can't even go poopy in the potty and you can do this. Individualized forms of entertainment are, are, are eroding relationships. And that's why there's many families who have decided, all right, a couple nights a week, no, none of this. 
No, this, we're turning turn the internet off. We're turning all the TVs off. And we're going to be bored until we actually learn how to hang out together. All right? Because it's not just kids. It's also parents. And the third thing that I would say is a, a rise in social media. Now, we have identified social media as a as something that's contributed to this problem before, but I, I want you to understand that that doesn't mean that it's bad. But a recent article that I read said that what social media is creating inside of us is what this, this uh, psychologist called an epidemic of deferred loneliness. An epidemic of deferred loneliness. In other words, I throw up a picture on Instagram and I get almost instant feedback. If I put a picture of my daughter up in literally 60 seconds, 10, 15 of y'all, like, 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 right? And what happens with social media is that there's this perception of interaction. But most of us know, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to like a picture on Facebook. And so what it does is it delays an emotion that we really need to process. It continues to push and to defer loneliness in a way that keeps us from actually dealing with a devastating thing that we're feeling. Last week, we said there's got to be something missing from the life that God wants to give us. There has to be something that is missing. This last week, we, we concluded that it must be someone that perhaps it's not just a thing, it's someone. Maybe it's a relationship that's missing. But this week, I would submit to you that it's not just someone, it's a group of someones. And so I believe that for many of us, for many of us, we are not just one relationship away from getting closer to our destiny. We're one community away from getting closer to the destiny that God has called us. If you were to sit down and talk to me and say, Kevin, how did you get to where you are right now? I, I knew you a long time ago and you're just really not the guy that I knew, which would be the truth if you knew me in high school or even in the few years following that, I would tell you that it was a group of friends that God gave me that I'm still friends with today, even though they live all over the world and do all kinds of things. One of them is my friend, Josh. Josh just came here and led worship a few times, released an album a few weeks ago. And Josh and I have been joking ever since he released that album about who his album is beating on iTunes. And it's been, and, and Josh is one of our overseers. He's one of the five men who is given the task of overseeing our church, overseeing me. Can I tell you why Josh is on that board? It's not because he is a church expert. It's not because he knows the ins and outs of ministry. It's because he's a Kevin expert. All right? He's been my best friend for right now about 20 years. That's a long time, folks. And he knows me better than just about anybody, maybe excluding my wife. He knows my, my secrets. He knows my weaknesses. He knows the stupid stuff that I did in the past. We can laugh about that stuff. He can poke fun of me and 
I love the fact that during my formative years when I was growing up spiritually, I had a few guys that were around me that created a community that I'm still, I still have lifelong friendships with them, even though some of them are not even in the United States, serving Jesus and, and Africa and all over the world. And by God's grace, the relationships that I had with them changed me. God used them to speak to me and to challenge me. There were times that I was discouraged and I didn't know which direction was up. I didn't know where the next step needed to be taken. And, and they were people that would come beside me and encourage me. It was those kind of relationships that led me to this place. And I would tell you that everything that I've learned, I, I most of it, right, didn't come just because I sat down with a bunch of books and read it. It became, I, I, I mean, I learned because I had friends who came alongside of me, helped me learn in my weaknesses, and people who, who were, had the boldness to say, Kevin, you really suck in that area. You know, you got to get better at that. And so I wanted to take a, a moment and go back to really kind of the beginning of the modern church as we know it, Acts 2, and look at how the church really emerged. Reading from Acts 2 in verses 42 to 46, the Bible says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Immediately out of that, as the church begins to emerge, it tells you that they did two things, that they took really seriously what they were being taught, right? What the apostles were teaching them, they were working hard to put that into practice. And the second thing that they did is they hung out together. Y'all get that? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Do you see that as the church begins to form and emerge, it does not do it as an organization. That's how churches work today. They're organizations. They have leaders and they have positions and they have things that need to be done and they have workers and they have all this stuff. But as the church began to emerge in Acts 2, it did so as a group of friends, as a community. A bunch of people that loved each other, that cared about each other, that were concerned about the lives that were being lived around them. They wanted to devote themselves to praying together, to responding to the word of God as it was preached through the apostles. They also took care of one another. And when one was in need, somebody would literally sell or give away, or whatever it would take to help that person that was in need. 
It didn't start, the church doesn't emerge in Acts 2 as an organization with a bunch of leaders and a a bunch of structure. It emerges as a group of friends that love Jesus and love each other. So today I want to look at three things, three qualities that lead to the formation of a great community. Three things that I know that when I get around people, I can tell if they're living in community by these things. And the first one is that we have refrigerator rights. We have refrigerator rights. See, that means that if I'm at a friend of mine's house and I need some creamer for my coffee, I don't ask them, Where's the creamer? I know where it is. It's in the refrigerator. I just go get it. If I'm hungry, just like if I were at home and I needed an apple or a banana and there's an apple or a banana just sitting there, I'll eat it. And if they're at my house and maybe they didn't have lunch, maybe they stopped by during their lunch hour and they come in Without asking, they go over and start making a bologna sandwich. They have, we have, refrigerator rights. Look at what the Bible says in Acts 2, 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. You see, it's one thing to have somebody over and have them into your living room, right? And y'all know what we do when we have people over, right, that, that we haven't had over a whole lot. We clean up the living room with all the junk in the bedrooms, right? That's how we clean. We take all the unfolded laundry, all the other stuff, and shove it away, and then y'all can stay in the living room, please. And sometimes, maybe if I catch you on a good day, your house is clean. But if I go look in your refrigerator, I'm going to know a whole lot about you, aren't I? I'm going to figure out a whole lot because that is just one of those places that we don't go unless we have a significant relationship with someone. But that's what it means. So who in your life right now, who in your life has refrigerator rights? Who, who loves you and who do you love so much? They come over to your house, they don't have to ask. They just go grab a Coke out of the refrigerator. Go get a bottle of water. They don't even have to ask about that. Who, who has refrigerator rights in your house? And, and let me ask you this also. What, do you have any houses that if you were to go to, if you were to go to their house and go visit, that you would have refrigerator rights? You see, There's something missing when we lack the intimacy of a relationship that says, I will give it all. Anything I have, I will give it to you. Shirt off my back, food in my refrigerator. If we don't have those kind of friendships, we're missing out on the kind of community that God wants to build. Because God wants that. He wants us to be that kind of friend and he wants us to have those kinds of friends. We have refrigerator rights. Number two, 
We all have flawed feet. We all have flawed feet. Romans 5:17 says this. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. You see, when you live in community, when you live with people that love you and you care about and they care about you and love you, You live in a culture of acceptance, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that after a while, there's going to be some stuff that comes out. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit would want me to. When my friends and I started to walk together in life, I was the the brand new Christian. Most of them had been serving Jesus for a long time. And within one year, every one of their families divorced. Every single one. Within one year. Every part of their lives that they had built. And and you know what? There was, it was such an honor for me to get to be there for them. To get to be there and walk through life and go through those circumstances and to be there when they got phone calls that were devastating to be there when we when we prayed and they cried and they and they hurt it was it was an honor because they were there for me when I didn't know a whole lot and they accepted me when I was the crazy kid who had done so much other stuff you see we all have Flawed feet. And the longer that you're around someone, the more deeper and intimate that that relationship becomes, the more you're going to become aware that that person has some issues. We all have our own brand of crazy, right? I mean, that's the truth. We all do. And the longer that you're around each other. See, the thing is, is that as communities form, it's not uncommon for the guys to come home and to meet with their friends and go, hey, I just want you. I want to tell you guys I'm really struggling with this. And I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to pray with me. I want you to help me get through this. It's not unusual for the women to get into some fights because they're women. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. But it's going to happen, right? I mean, there's going to be some disagreements and some some unrest, right? It's going to be some, some of that, but we all have fun feet. I love this story of a guy in the Old Testament, his name was Mephibosheth. And because of a relationship that King David had, King David brought this man who was a crippled. In those days, to be crippled, any form of crippling disease was viewed as the punishment for sin. So leprosy or being being born with a deformity, all of that was seen as being punishment for sin. And here is this guy, Mephibosheth, that was born with crooked feet. And in 2 Samuel 9, 13, it says this, that Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, but he was lame in both feet. You see, the thing is, is that when Mephibosheth is sitting at the king's table, he looks just like everybody else because the king's table is covering his feet. Y'all get that? 
the king's table is covering his feet. And when we live in a community of love and acceptance and the power of the gospel, somehow the love that is there covers our brokenness. The third thing that I would tell you that's important to know of what a community looks like is that we fight lions. We fight lions. Look at this verse out of First Peter. Be alert and of sober mind, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The first thing that I would like to point out is that the Bible draws a direct comparison between the devil and cats. I don't know if you're a cat person or not, but that's an important just thing to learn. It's all throughout the Bible. This is a sub point. I'm sorry. All right. The Bible says that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. That there is someone that wants to not just confront you, not just trip you up, but that there is an enemy that wants to devour you, that wants to get you in a, an independent, vulnerable situation. I'm going to show you a video. I want you to watch this and then we'll bring it home. This extraordinary footage shows a lion being flipped five meters into the air. The juvenile predator was about to complete a kill before a giant male buffalo intervened to save his friend from certain death. The hungry duo spent 45 minutes stalking their prey in the Kruger National Park, South Africa. But after bringing down the defenseless buffalo, one lion left itself open to a surprise attack. The astonishing moment was captured by 52-year-old Ian Matheson and his 16-year-old son, Oliver, during an early morning safari. Amazingly, all of the animals walked away from the encounter with no major injuries. There's a video online I would encourage you to watch. It's called The Battle at Kruger. It is an encounter just like this where there are lions that stalk a water buffalo. They end up getting a calf. End up getting a small little baby water buffalo. And when you watch the video, it's so ridiculous because there is no water buffalo to be seen. But in about five minutes, there's about 75 of them. And they circle the lions. And they're like, no, you are not messing with ours. See, when we live in community, when we live with people that love us and care for us, we live like that. We live with people who are willing to fight for us. Because when you're independent, you are vulnerable. This idea of independence is simply a strategy that the devil has used to put you in a position where he can take you out. If you're not living in community with people that love you and care for you and are willing to fight for you, you are missing out on the kind of love that God wants to demonstrate to you. Look at this verse. John 13, 35. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by what? If you love 
one another. There's nothing that's more loving than accepting someone, knowing their faults and being willing to give everything so that we can fight for them. That's what community looks like. You might just be a water buffalo, but I'm going to tell you what, 25 water buffalo can take out a lion. You might just be a person using Jesus' terminology, a one talent person. You might look at yourself and think, I'm not enough. And the truth is, is that all of us are not enough. We're not. But through the power of God, as he brings us together and builds the church as the body of Christ, as he gives us the empowerment to be friends and to love each other, to go after one thing together, to see the kingdom of God advance together, that we would give it all to love and to see someone protected that we care for. Somehow, the world looks at that love and goes, I don't understand that but there's got to be something behind that. Let's pray. God, Lord, it's our desire to live the way that you designed life to be. And we realize that if we're living independently, outside of community, that we're vulnerable and that there is an enemy who wants to destroy us. So God, today as we confess, God, as we prepare our hearts and our lives to respond to your word, God, we just say to you, Lord, we, we've blown it. We haven't lived inside community. Some of us have ran away from community. We've avoided that because we knew it was going to be hurtful. We knew that it was going to be difficult. We knew that it was quite possible that we might get injured and wounded. But God, I would pray today that as we take a moment, that you would call us into deeper relationships with each other. And God, today as we as we think about the kind of love that would give itself up, knowing our faults and being quite aware of every place that we're weak, a love that would give itself up to protect us and to see us whole. Let us be reminded of the love of Jesus that was willing to go to the cross so that we could be made whole through the power of the resurrected Savior. So with nobody looking around today, everybody head bowed, eyes closed, nobody getting up to move. Maybe today that's you. Maybe today you would say, I've never experienced a love that was willing to give itself up for me. I've never experienced a love that was willing to lay its life down, to give up everything that it has to protect me. That's exactly what Jesus did for you. And if you've never experienced that, 
If you've never accepted God's love, you are just one moment away, one decision away from experiencing the power of a God that loves you, cares for you, and sent his son Jesus to die for you. If that's you and you say, I've never experienced that kind of love, but I want to experience it with Jesus, would you raise your hand right now? If that's you and you say, I've never experienced that kind of love, but I want to. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else just to raise your hand if that's you. And for those of us that are in the room today, that feel God calling us into a deeper relationship. Into a relationship that leads to community, into maybe not just one, but more than one relationship. If right now you feel like God is calling you into that and maybe you don't even know the way, but you just want to respond to God by saying, God, I'm committed to you. Would you raise your hand right now and just say, hey, God, I'm committed to living in community. I want those kind of relationships. I want to experience the kind of love that you had talked about. So God, today we just ask for those who have responded to you and those, God, who have committed to live in community the way that you designed us to that you would take us and lead us for your, your glory, God, not for ours. Take us and change us so that we can look more like you because it's in your might and in your power that we are made complete. It's in the dependence on you and the reliance on your people that we find wholeness. And so, God, would you straighten our paths into those directions in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.